Well, welcome to another episode of Flip Your Friday. I'm your host, Wynn Silverman. This is my co-host, Casey LeBlanc. Man, I'm super excited. We have four-time Pro Bowl quarterback Jeff Garcia. That's just part of your, your history in sports. Um, you've, you've had an illustrious career in many, many avenues. Um, and, and we're really here today to kind of talk about not only you as an athlete, uh, but as a human, some adversity you've faced, um, and just kind of live through your story because really the goal here is to, to interview special people, and, and I don't think we need to do anything but just jump in right now. So I don't know, Case, if you want to start with a question or if you want me to ask, I'm, I'm fine, whatever. Yeah, so Flip Your Friday is really about looking at people that have done some extraordinary things in their life and then peeling back the onion a bit to find out certain things that they either went through or adversity or some sort of chip that got them to the level that they were able to get to. And who better than to talk to you, right? So undrafted after going to junior college and then to my alma mater, our alma mater, San Jose State, uh, shout out. Uh, so talk a little bit about what it was like. Maybe we can just start there. But what it was like going through youth football all the mm -hmm. way through and getting into the collegiate level and then what you did after that. And, and talk us through kind of that undrafted feeling and, and what you do from there. Right. So I was fortunate enough to grow up in a football family. Uh, my father was the head football coach at Gavlin Junior College in our hometown of Gilroy. My grandfather, my mom's dad, used to be the high school football coach in my hometown of Gilroy at Gilroy High School. And actually, before my dad and mom even started dating, my dad's teammates were his future brother-in-laws <laughs> and his future father-in-law was his coach in wow. high school. But that being said, growing up in Gilroy, small, small town community, everybody knew each other. My dad was well known uh, around the community there just from what he brought to the junior college, the, the players that he brought in, the inspiration, the motivation, the father figure that he was for these young men. And I mean, I'm looking at these guys as a four, five, six year old, and they look like giants to me. And those really were my idols, but they were only 18, 19, 20-year-old young kids, in a sense, trying to figure it out themselves. So for me to really grow up around that environment, it instilled something in me. Uh, seeing my dad coach, bringing home film, the old projector film, he put it on the wall, and hell, we lived in the country, only got two channels, no cable, nothing like that. So it was better than watching whatever I could find on TV. I'd sit down there and... He'd talk about the upcoming opponent. He'd talk about coverages. So at a young age, mentally, I started to grasp the game. I was a decent athlete growing up. I played baseball, basketball, football, soccer, whatever was in season. Did you have a favorite season. sport? Uh, probably basketball and football. Yeah. You know, those were my two favorite. And just being around football all the time and being able to be out there, those guys were like my brother and I babysitters. You know, they were looking after us as young kids and – We'd go out there and we'd be throwing the ball around games. We were the uh, the ball boys for the games, and then being halftime was like our showtime, right? We got yeah, to go got out to play, the you got field, to play in front of the lights, got to play in front yeah. of, under the lights, yeah. in front of the crowd, and throw the ball around and stuff like that. So there was a lot of sports involvement growing up, and uh, you know, for me, um, it really didn't start to totally click until probably my later years of high school, and even into my first year and only year of junior college when I played for my dad. But to backtrack a little bit 
to my story and you talk about adversity and, and trials and tribulations, you know, as a family, we experienced some very tragic situations in my childhood, uh, losing my best friend, my brother. I was seven. He was six years old. Memorial Day weekend. We're on a camping trip with other families up at Mammoth Lakes. And uh, the boys, about six of us, my brother and I being the youngest two, travel down the river to go fishing. And next thing you know, my brother disappears on us. And, uh, you know, it was one of those situations where nobody saw what happened. Um, But what must have happened is he got close to the edge. It was a rocky uh, environment, fast-moving river, fell into the river. Nobody saw him go in. Nobody could jump in. Probably would have been too fast-moving to really get to him as it was, but uh, he was later found by rangers. And so I lost my brother on that day. Uh, Like I said, Memorial Day weekend, his name was Jason. And, uh, you know, for me as a 7-year-old, not really knowing how to uh, deal with that sort of loss or tragedy, seeing my parents and the hurt that they were going through emotionally um, as a couple, just what they were dealing with. And literally a year and a month and a half later on my dad's birthday, July 14th, I lost my sister in a car accident. And uh, she was five years old. Her name is Kimberly, and uh, that's what I have on my wow. arm here. My brother Jason and Kimberly with the angel wings, and uh, you know, just to signify their presence in my life and what they've meant to me as much as I haven't had them for most of my life, obviously. But you know, for us to go through that as a family, for my parents to still be married, I don't know how they got through yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You know? I mean, the finality um, of death. Yeah. And being a parent now, having my own four kids and knowing what that love is like, just uh, how you embrace your children, how you love your children, like nothing else in life. And I don't know how my parents actually made it through, to be honest with you. I don't know how my mom made it through. And, you know, she's battled depression. She's bad, which is understandable. I mean, when you lose children and, and, not to make matters worse, she carried twin girls in 1968. She carried twin girls to seven and a half months. Her water broke. The girls were born, and they lived for 10 hours. So wow. what my parents have gone through, the struggles um, That's the whole that they've family, had right? to deal with. Yeah, yeah. You guys all as a family collectively and, deal and with so that. And so as a young kid, you know, like, how do I, my whole mindset was, how can I put a smile on my parents' face? Like, don't be that shit kid, right? Mm -hmm. Don't be the troublemaker. Hey, get good grades. Do the right thing. Not to say I always walked the straight line, but for the most part, sports is what really united or kept us together. So not just your your father, collectively, your mother and father, there was was a rapport, an implicit rapport, an emotion built through sports? Or was it primarily your father that you had that rapport with? Was it both? It was both, really, because what (laughs) happened at that point, my dad really sunk himself into his work, right? He had an outlet to go to every day. My mom, now I had two younger sisters that were born during those times of the tragedies. She was a mom. She had to take care of her kids. And as much as she was still going through the traumatic losses and the emotional 
letdown of what she was struggling with, she had to be present in her kids' lives. And I think for my mom to have to every day get up and help us get ready for school and then take me to my football practice or my basketball practice or my little league baseball practice and then go to my games and support that as a team mom or just as a mom. You know, all those things I think helped distract her in certain ways from the true uh, sadness of what was going on in her life. So one, one real quick, one, one question with that, because we, we do want to jump in and talk about the football side, but I think it's really important because this podcast is a lot about mindset. What, what, at what point in your life, you, you talked a lot about, Hey, I didn't want to be that shit kid. That, I yeah. think that's smart, but how old were you? And like, what were you doing as a, a to, to understand that and have the awareness? Like, Hey, I got to lean into sports. I need to yeah, connect with generate my dad. Happiness. I'm trying as a child, you, you have this perspective, like, look, a lot of things hurt and my family's hurting. How can I contribute and make things happy? Like what? How did you do that? Like what? Right. Without therapy being yeah. the answer back yeah. then. Right. I mean, right. a kid goes through that today. They're, oh, they're in, in they're therapy three, three and all yeah. that stuff. But, um, you know, for me at that time, really sports was my therapy. It really was. And this, the friendships, the relationships that I made through sports were everything to me. I mean, because that goes beyond the kids you meet at school. I think the experiences you have through sports for me, especially, and and you can speak for yourselves, but those relationships, those are everlasting. I mean, the guys that I played Pop Warner football with, that I played Little League baseball with, I still have those friendships, still have those relationships that they weren't necessarily my going to the same elementary school. You know, we went to different schools in the town. Eventually we got to the same high school or whatever, but you know, those relationships. And I think just leaning on sports, being active, uh, having something to uh, focus on and not get lost in what was no longer there. Right. But to, to really continue to, to somewhat have some goals, have something to achieve, uh, it was obviously more team focused than it was individual focused, but you know, and, and I think just just seeing my dad, how he sunk into his coaching and still being present amongst other young men who actually were looking up to him, who needed him yeah. in ways, yeah. and seeing that, and really idolizing that in a lot of ways, you know, really idolizing and not feeling jealous or, or left out because I was always able to be present and be involved. And he did a great job your, of involving your father. Me. Your now your father, just moving to your JC years when he was your coach. So what I'm listening and listening to, obviously the manifestation, trying to be happy, the report through sports, which is fascinating. And obviously we can all, all uh, kind of accept the, 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 the special nature of a team and what it does for you. But what you spoke to me about uh, earlier was that like, you felt like you didn't really click as an athlete until later, which is interesting to me because you were always trying to make things happy through sports. And yet it was later in your career where you click. So let's move forward a little bit and talk about that moment when you clicked and realized you might be an opportunity to play ball in college, for example. And let's take it from there. Like what, what was it? What clicked? Right. So going back to high school and, and let's not, Hey, I was a decent athlete. Yeah, you know, yeah, I was a decent yeah. athlete, but not just like what the labels want to throw out there. Not overly big, not big, right. Not exceptionally fast, not a strong rocket arm. Mentally is where I was ahead of the game. Right. Just growing up around the sport with my dad. That's where I was mentally ahead. 
Once my physical abilities started to catch up with my mental abilities to grasp the game, that's when I started to flourish. That's when I started to blossom. I always had this uh, intensity and this emotion about how I approached the game. Like I was just like a, a lot of how my dad's passion and enthusiasm rubbed off on me. I mean, I t- you talk about pregame speeches and bringing tears to your eyes because you're so motivated and fired up. He was that guy, right? To bring out more than what anybody ever thought they could bring out of themselves. He made them rise to another level. And I think I'm the like, like the shining example of rising to another level. When you look at me walking off a bus. I'm not going to overly impress anybody with my stature. But when I stepped on the field, I had this never say die mentality. And, you know, it started happening in high school and I had a good junior year. My senior year, I fractured my non-throwing arm, my left elbow. So I missed half the season. I ended up going into the high school all-star game as a quarterback, but I ended up starting at free safety in the game because there were three quarterbacks and I didn't want to get just one quarter in the game. So the second day of practice, I go, well, let me go over to defense. Although I never played defense during my high school career because the coach wouldn't let me play. I was the starting quarterback. He didn't want me to get injured or anything like that. But the mentality of how I could play the game and what I understood in the game transitioned over to the other side. And I had the physical intensity and toughness to where now I was competing on the other side. And by the end of the week, I was starting at free safety and guys were pissed yeah. because here you had all league, all CCS free safeties. And they're like, what this guy is starting in front of us. And it's just because I knew the game. Like I had the mentality. I knew where the ball was going before it was going there. Those type of things. Now, when I played for my dad, knowing I was going to go to the junior college because I wasn't being recruited by any major schools. Uh, I had some schools after that all-star game. Hey, would you be interested in coming to play defense, walking on, you know, D2 schools? And I'm like, you know, I'm going to go play for my dad. I'm really a quarterback. And so when I went and played for my dad, he put in a system where, hey, we were going to spread it out a little bit. We were going to put the ball in the air. And that's when I really started to catch up physically and started to flourish. My size improved, my speed improved. Uh, Obviously, I already had the intellect and just the leadership qualities really started to kind of fall into place to where I opened some eyes and some opportunities came and I had some scholarship offers and San Jose State was 30 miles up the road and I thought, well, hey, it gives me a chance to go get an education for a school that at the time was playing good football and was competitive and uh, my parents could still be in, involved and be a part of it. So I want to talk a little bit and dissect this this uh, leadership and mentality that your dad instilled in you. Not not everyone is as lucky as you were to grow up with a football background, with a coaching, uh, with a parent who's a coach. And there's, there's a lot to be said about a, a quarterback who has a head coach as a parent and how that influences them. And you talk about the smarts and intellect that came with it. But let's talk about it for those that are not related to you and don't have that talk about the things, the principles and the way that he managed and and coached and parented you that gave you that fire. Talk a lot about the mentality to those that don't have a parent like that, or don't have that coach or some uh, influence in their lives. What are the things that your dad gave you that got you to this level? Cause if they don't have the physical, 
they can still like you're you're born with your physical right you can tweak it a little bit but you can't go from six foot to six four trust me i've tried uh <laughs> and so what i want to talk about is how do you exercise the mental what can you do what did your dad teach you and what what influence has you know can others learn from that well i think more than anything work ethic you know having a work ethic that just uh you're not going to be denied we talk about setting goals setting realistic goals goals that you can achieve on a daily basis goals that are that are further out that are going to take some time to really put work into and dedicate yourself to but i think more than anything you know my dad comes from immigrant parents they immigrated from mexico he's full-blooded mexicano he grew up working in the fields whatever was in season that's what he was picking sure you know and it meant a lot to the family to contribute in that sort of way and so knowing just where he came from and what sports meant to him, it was really a way out for him out, out of farming and working in the fields to, mm-hmm. to go on and get an education and to play sports and to compete in that sort of way. But watching him coach, uh, watching his work ethic, his dedication to the game, uh, not just talking the talk, but walking the walk, obviously. As a leader, you got to be able to demonstrate firsthand and foremost that you're willing to uh, to run through fire, that you're willing to do whatever it takes in order to to achieve the team goal. I always looked at everything uh, first and foremost as a team. My individual accomplishments were going to come through team accomplishments. If the team is performing well, then I must be doing my job. I must be doing things on a positive note. And so for me, it was all about how can we be better. But in that structure, it's going to be my self-motivation, my yeah. self-inspiration to be the best that I could possibly be. And how does that elevate everybody else's level of play? I, I want to ask you something specifically. So, obviously, you had a you had an illustrious career at San Jose State. You were undrafted. I'd like to get into that. But So, you've spoken about mentality. I absolutely understand that. You've spoken about how you instilled goal setting. And I think that's really important. But... You know, you were undrafted, right? And 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 you you had you, you had a, a career in Canada, which traditionally, uh, as a background of an NFL agent for twenty years, I know because I've been told by countless GMs is once you go north, you have a real slight chance of going back. Okay, talk to me about the role of hope or or faith you had, um, or d- did that play a role um, in your career? Uh, because I feel like there's this. I mean, God, you have to have a lot of balls to. We really do to go north and expect that you're going to win at the at your ultimate goal, which had to be the NFL. Yeah, I think I I often talk a lot about, uh, especially to young kids, of being encouraged and not discouraged. Right? There are plenty of people out there that want to discourage us, that want to tear us down, that want to bring us down, want to rip us apart. I found a way to really utilize that to fuel my fire, to really turn non-believers into believers, mm-hmm. right? And it had to take place through my actions, through my actual um, competitive spirit on the field to be able to do positive things. But for whatever reason, and maybe it was because of my childhood, growing up with uh, the tragic situations, uh, getting thick skin early on, knowing that life is precious and that, hey, we can't guarantee tomorrow, so make the most of today. 
And I really lived in the presence in that sort of way. I wasn't so much concerned about what's going to happen tomorrow or a week down the road. I was really just trying to be the best that I could be today. And, uh, and, and what did that mean uh, in translating that onto the football field? Yeah. And so for me, you know, coming out of San Jose State, where I was a record-setting, record-setting quarterback at the time, most all-purpose yardage, you know, different records, uh, what have you, um, but not being looked at by the NFL scouts. I mean, it was it was discouraging. It was a little bit disappointing, you know, sitting there throughout the seven rounds of yeah. the draft, and you know, not, not even the call. not even a, a a mention. It's funny. I got one call. Okay, I got one call, and it was from Steve Mariucci of all people. <laughs> you guys know Steve, the local well. guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he was the quarterback coach of the Green Bay Packers at the time. Mm. And uh, he was told to call me uh, by Coach Holmgren, so who had been San reached, Jose Oak Grove connection, right? Who had been reached out to by Bill Walsh, yeah, who was a sure. San Jose State Spartan himself, yeah, right? Yeah, so when yeah. Bill was the head coach at Stanford, my junior and senior year, we played Stanford, and it was in my senior year where it was a shootout back and forth. And after the game, even though we lost the game, it came down to a last minute drive. Uh, Walsh at after the game to the media said, you know, that kid on the other side, that Garcia, he did some Joe Montana like things today. Mm. And I was very impressed with him. Mm. And so prior to the East West shrine game, which I was invited to play in as a college senior, which was held right there at Stanford stadium. He was out at practice. My dad's like, Hey, go up to coach Walsh and just thank him for those kind words. So I went up to coach Walsh and I'm like, Hey coach, just want to thank you for saying what you said. It meant a lot to me. Hey, I idolized you as a coach. I mean, the Niners were my team, watching them win Super Bowls with him as the head guy, knowing he was a Spartan himself. Um, he's like, hey, Jeff, you deserve every word of it. And uh, this weekend, you're going to be the MVP, man. You're going to be the MVP. And I'm like, well, thanks, yeah, right Coach. Yeah. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell everybody else yeah. that? Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Well, it turns out I go out there in that game, and uh, in the fourth quarter, we make a 28-7 comeback to win 29-28. I throw three touchdowns, run for the two-point conversion, all in the last six minutes of the game to win the game. And their fans are, or the, the media's changing their vote. And so I ended up being co-MVP with the other quarterback wow. from the other team. That being said, afterwards, I went again and met with Coach Bill Walsh and said, hey, you have a lineage of coaches throughout the NFL. You believe in me. Can you say anything to these guys to maybe yeah. open up some eyes? Let's pause on that. That's a, a tremendous story, but let's pause on something. Your father instructed you as a coach, right? And, and yet I think the most quintessential moment for your father to recommend that you take that moment and have that personal relationship and that moment of saying, hey, thank you. Hey, this is me. I'm present with you. I think that reflects uh, leadership, and I think it transcends um, business too, right, Casey? I mean, does that not? Moments like that, if you just take a moment and be present with someone, the importance of the human touch and relationship, I think, is, is really important. Well, I think what I see from it is your dad just going, hey, you're going to have to knock on the door of your fucking okay. self. Fair right? enough. Like, I think there's Fair a enough. hustle to it when you come from a smaller school and it's, you know, less recruitment, less eyeballs. And, and he's probably like, look, it's a great opportunity to meet him anyway. Yeah. Say thank you. So you're sure. acknowledging because it'll mean he knows it'll mean something to Bill to have a player do that. But there's also this idea of like, hey, Bill, you know, after the game, 
you, you know, you you have a lot of connections. I want to use the, you're trying to do what you have to do to open up those doors as well. Phenomenal. Yeah. There's a lot of things to it. So it, and your dad kind of gave you a lot of those tools. And so when you're now you're a parent and you're, you know, your kids are younger, but they're playing youth football and you're starting to do some of those things. Are are you doing the same thing with them? Are you, you using some of those fatherly moments to, to coach and it, and are there similarities? Are there differences? Yeah. What, where are you at with that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, when people see me out there coaching, especially people who know my dad and now see me, they're like, gosh, you're a spitting image of your dad. Yeah. You're just legacy. like your It's dad. a reflection of legacy. And it, you know what? It's like nobody, to me, nobody did it better. When I think about my greatest football coach in my life, and I've had some great coaches. Yeah. All throughout every level. Throughout every level. My dad is literally the best coach you That's talk awesome. about a guy who didn't force his talent to play his game, but adapted to the talent that, that, that he had key. within the team. Yeah. Like doing that at at a younger age, understanding that hey, you can't fit every square peg into a round circle. So important. Like some and adjustments so need to be made. And hey, if I have this sort of group of players, then I'm going to run this sort of offense. If I have this style of player, I'm going to do this with these guys. And just learning that and adapting to that. But like seeing how he instilled confidence, he instilled uh, an attitude in people that, hey, they can run through a brick wall if it meant something to them. And and belief in each other, right? Belief in each other, creating an atmosphere of of family, of brotherhood. And even though I'm just coaching these 9 and 10 and 11-year-olds now, like, that's what I talk about. I talk about brotherhood. I talk about this is your family. I talk about accountability to each other. I talk about, hey, if you want something done, you can't wait for somebody else to do it for you. You have to do it yourself. It's a different age of kids, too. I mean, we're dealing with different kids these days with communication and social media. Look them in the eye and shake their hand. Give them a firm handshake. Like, you know, I expect out of them what my dad expected out of me or what how we grew up you know we you know we spoke with we we had the opportunity to visit with guy mcintyre who i'm sure you're familiar with sure and the things that you're talking about with your father are very excuse this term i don't think it's ever been created for but walshian because what he talked about with with his experience with bill walsh is exactly what you're talking about your father it was it was human touch it was camaraderie it was hey you can, you guys are a team and by the way how how are you feeling i heard you know i heard you know if it's a secretary's uh, dad the was human sick, element he would know and it's the human touch that was really critical in winning you yeah. know and i feel like it's the same thing that he's speaking about yeah there's a lot of life lessons just with that right and it's interesting to see what the impact was cuz with all of those different amount of coaches and your dad having that level of impact yeah. and then you paying it forward now and taking those critical things and saying, look, kids, this is, this is the way that you separate yourself and how you maximize your talent and ability, whether it's through sports or in life, right? You're teaching people. Yeah. You're, you're coaching the game of football, but at that age, you're, you're, you're life coach, right? You're trying to impact their lives. And that's what I love about the game of football, right? Because it's going to challenge you mentally. It's going to challenge you physically. You're going to deal with bumps, aches, bruises, everything that you're preparing for right now can translate in how you approach everyday life. In life and yeah. just bettering yourself as a person, a being a better son, better daughter, better brother, brother, better sister, all those things yeah. within your own family, a better student, being a leader in the classroom, uh, taking everything that you're learning right here and translating into your everyday life and being a better giver. 
back to the yeah. community, you know? So it's you, not about the selfishness as much as we're self-motivated, but at some point, it's the betterment of the team. Because right? there's there's this level of spotlight that goes into being an NFL quarterback, right? We can we can all agree to that. So let's let's talk about that because you're now re- you're retired unless somebody's going to call you after this <laughs> this podcast. A couple because, teams that need a couple quarterbacks. Yeah, because it looks like you, know. you could probably you, you still look, play. Yeah, you look pretty well, if they would have seen me throw last night, I mean, I was throwing dimes out there. Hey, so you, we should just get out on the field and put a workout together. <laughs> <laughs> Don't film it because that would be embarrassing for me. But what I want to talk about is once you get into the spotlight of the NFL and you've made it out of uh, the Canadian Football League, you're now in the... Having beaten Doug Flutie, or I've transcended Doug Flutie. But you're, in, you're, you're now sitting at the court. You're sitting at the helm. We're not maybe not immediately, but I want to talk about the transition into yeah. the NFL because now you're able, as somebody who is retired, to look back on your career and talk about that adversity. Did When, when you start to get into the NF, uh, NFL, become a starting quarterback, be, or go through the, the, the start of getting into the NFL to becoming a starting quarterback, talk, we could talk about that, but you're looking back on your career now and all the different things. Was there a self-awareness at that time of what was going on? Are you kind of the, hey, I'm 22, 25, I'm cocky, I don't give a shit about anything else? Like, <laughs> are you have different perspective now, obviously, with, with age? or I think What's I your all, mindset well, at that age? I feel like because I had always been somewhat doubted, right? I had this unassuming presence to myself, like this quiet, competitive nature. Not to say that I would like fade away in the background, but I was going to make my presence known in some way or another. And, uh, you know, that first year with the 49ers, I'm 29 years old. I'm not a child anymore. You're seasoned. I'm basically seasoned. I'd gone through five years up in the Canadian Football League. We'd won a championship. I'd won a lot of games. Hell, I took a lot of hits, too, up yeah. there that, hey, we're pretty impactful. But, you know, <laughs> we won a lot of football games, and we had a great locker room environment camaraderie, chemistry, all those things, uh, bringing that into San Francisco where now all of a sudden you're part of the big business, right? Yep. In the CFL, it's not so much a business as it is just an opportunity for guys to extend their playing career sure. in yeah. some sort of way. Yeah. Not getting rich up in the CFL, but you're getting an opportunity to do what you love to do. And that's what I think meant so much to guys who who played in that league. It was much more of like a college atmosphere in the locker room than it was like the NFL. The NFL, you all of a sudden get all these different players of different backgrounds and salary structure and and families. Some guys have kids, they're married. Some guys are single, ready to mingle. (laughs) You know, I mean, you have a little bit of everything, but it's a different, you know, each different section of the locker room kind of has a different vibe going on. It's just a different feel, right? But for me... How was I going to stick out? How was I? I knew coming in, they had Jim Druckenmiller, right? They had yeah. signed him. They drafted him, I think, two Third, or three years two, three. sooner yeah. uh, prior, and he was a first-round pick. Yeah, He's going to get his reps. Not the best choice because not really a Steve Young type no. of guy, no. right? No. And so l- myself looking at that potential matchup, I knew I was much more of a Steve Young type than what Jim was, right? And how was I going to uh, now take what I was going to learn in the classroom and watching Steve on the field and then apply it that could be similar to what Steve, absolutely. And so, you know, I tried to just create an edge in that sort of way. 
And obviously I had to prove it when my opportunities presented itself in preseason games or whatever the case may be. And I had to prove. The, talk about the that, that moment when I, I still remember Steve Young getting hit and kind of falling down. I was in, um, the blanket on the safety from the Cardinals that they got that hit. But I believe that was a moment for you, your first real moment, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but where you're going, oh, shit, this is it, right? I mean, can you talk to us a little bit about that and seizing that moment? And, and were you present or were you scared shitless? What was going on? <laughs> oh, yeah, we were in Arizona. It's a Monday night football yeah. game against the Cardinals, and Aeneas Williams comes off the edge. You know and- Aeneas pretty well. Yeah, that was yeah. when you got in a fight with Sap, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> but Aeneas, yeah, puts a hit on Steve, and it ends up being his last play in his career. And so for me, yeah, I'm sure a lot of nerves all of a sudden, like, popped into yeah. how am I going to handle Fuck, this Monday night. situation. <laughs> it was right at the end of the first half, so we had halftime to basically talk about what we were who first about approached to do. you? Was it Steve? What, 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 Greg Knapp, who okay. was our quarterback Straight. coach. Steve um, had a concussion, guys. No, gonna no, be, no, 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 no. Uh, Mary Uchi, Uchi, yes. oh. <laughs> So, um, so our quarterback coach was Greg Knapp. Um, you know who passed away? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bike accident or something. A bike accident, yeah. tragic incident. Uh, great guy, great man. I owe so much to Coach Knapp and what he yeah he brought tremendous. to me as a coach and uh, as a mentor. Anyways, he came over to talk to me. Hey, it's your time. Um, at halftime, I'm sure Steve Mariucci was yeah. shitting, yeah. <laughs> you know, to say the least. I'm sure he was the one that was probably more nervous than anybody else because he went from a team with a Hall of Famer leading his crew and the year prior, I think, making it to uh, close to the NFC Championship game, yeah. if not the NFC Championship game. They were close um, to now all of a sudden this – kid coming out of the Canadian Football League, and what am I going to do with him? Well, they simplified the game plan in that second half, just knowing that I hadn't had a lot of reps. But, hey, I stepped into that huddle like I had been there before. Man, I was not a young kid. I was 29 years old. I had won a CFL championship. I was playing at the top of my game up in the CFL. I was somebody who can handle that experience, that exposure. And uh, really, it was about reps. I needed to get the repetitions. You know, when you're the starting quarterback, you get every rep mm-hmm. in practice. When you're the backup, you get every uh, scout team rep. Yeah. So you're running the other team's offense. So every bit of work you're doing as far as retaining your system is more mental than physical. So, you know, just going out in that game and just trying to manage the game. We we got fortunate. We had an explosive running play that went to the house for a touchdown and expanded our lead. And, and, you know, we came out of that game a winner and, uh, now it was, Hey, can't worry about what's happening with Steve. He'll handle his own situation, but it's my time. It's my turn. Let's talk about the, you you brought this up earlier and we're fascinated by this idea of confidence. So we want to know, what you're doing to exercise your confidence in, in these stages of your life to get to this point. And then are you kind of self-aware, like, damn, this is my opportunity. And how are you kind of using confidence and what you've been able to build off of over the, the years of sports? Because a lot of people don't have that. They don't know what to do with it, right or wrong. And so you've gotten to this point of now you're, it's your time. Yeah, you're not a deer in the headlights, but why? Yeah. Yeah. So I, it's funny because uh, I spoke at a, charity event one time and a friend introduced me and he was a former football player and uh you know he wanted to set the stage by bringing me up onto the stage and he mentioned 
when he spoke to about me to my fellow teammates, what was one word that brought to mind? And, and a lot of them said opportunity or opportunistic. Mm-hmm. And, and for me throughout my life, I really believe that's what separated me from those who were just as talented potentially but didn't take advantage of the opportunity when it presented itself. We don't know when that opportunity will arise. We don't know when you're going to get a crack in the door, slightly opened window of opportunity, but are you prepared to strike when it happens? And I think that's where I've just been a difference maker. Like I could go through going back to my Canadian days, my first year, I wasn't competing to be Doug Flutie's backup. I was competing to be the third string quarterback on the yeah. t- on a CFL team, not yeah. the second string or first string, a third string quarterback with another rookie. I had one game, one quarter in a preseason game. I stepped onto the field. The game was 14-14. We're in a tie. I go six for eight, two drives later, two touchdown passes. We win the game 28-14. The offensive coordinator for our team is arguing with the American scout because the American scout likes the other kid (laughs) more than me, but the offensive coordinator is going, well, didn't you just see what Jeff just did in the game? Like, I don't, not that you can't be a good practice guy, but when the game was on the line and that emotional edge stepped in, you know, I went from being the normal average guy to all of a sudden... Superman, in so a sense. Does that know? come? Does that come from preparedness? Where, where, where does I that come from? More than anything, it's me, it's mental preparation, okay. absolutely, and also, I mean, the physical ability to 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 put it into play, but the mental prep that goes in, especially at the quarterback position, understanding what you're seeing, how to uh, process information so quickly and come down to a good decision, but not just the good decision, but now making the play physically to execute, to execute. Do you equate preparation with repetition? Is that, is that the same thing to you or no? Not so much because repetition is the physical side. But when you talk about the game of football, there's so much of a mental side to it. And that's where, the study of defenses and fronts and coverages and then your game plan and how that is all manipulated by what you see and your decision-making and how you're now eliminating your process of elimination. And it has to happen within three seconds. There's your pre-snap read, your post-snap read. There's all these things that are, that are going through that you're processing like, uh, like an accountant, Yeah, but it's happening on the football field. And then, the physical side has to be there as well. And I think a lot of guys have the physical tools but can't process it mentally or vice versa. They're great mentally, but they're just lacking somewhere physically. And that might be where some people talk about the the role of art, the art of being a quarterback. That might be where that's slotted in, where there's that distinction. There's repetition. You have the physical ability, but just like we said, there are athletes when the lights come on, it just, you're, you're a baller. And, and some, it just doesn't click. And that might be that, I don't know, that, that human element that nobody can put their finger on that makes you special, you know? I just well, there's know. also that in business, right? We talk a lot about sports. Obviously, you're an NFL athlete and Pro Bowl and done all the things athletically, but you've also done some things in your personal life and business life that yeah. have been, you use the same skill set, right? We can talk yeah. about what happens on the football field, but you're the quarterback of your life. You're the CEO yeah. of your life. And all of those pre-snap reads, you know, execution, preparation, all of those things apply 
apply in so many other aspects of life. And so being a quarterback and you talk about the mental reps and being, uh, you know, prepared and going through this film study, you talk about it at a young age and what that impact has had and, and going through that studying. So are, are, is the idea of chip on your shoulder or where you, you know, what do these terms mean to you? Where do you know this, this idea of like, do you have a chip on your shoulder? And also too, you know, the, this idea of, well, you're smaller, the gift, uh, not, not as gifted of an athlete as the six foot four, five star recruit. Like when, when someone says these things to you, what do you think? Does it, do, do, yeah, I do have a chip on my shoulder or fuck that. Or yeah, I'm not gifted. athlete. no, fuck yeah. that. Like they're not gifted as much as I am mentally. Like, do you flip it? Like walk me through how oh, yeah. you look at those different Absol- things. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think you become a master of flipping things into motivation, That's awesome. right? And, uh, you know, whether like it's a two minute drive at the end of the game, how do you flip that pressure? Right. For me, the pressure's on the defense. They have to stop us. They have to protect the lead. Nobody's expecting us to win or pull this out now. And that's where, you know, people would talk about, well, what sort of pressure did you feel? And I was like, I actually was as calm as ever in that moment because I didn't feel like the pressure was on me. It was on them to stop me, you know, and just being able to deflect or spin that whole, um, that moment. And yeah, I mean, Hey, I heard it throughout my life and it did create a bit of a chip. It created a sense of, of loving to prove people wrong and kind of without putting in their face, putting it in their face. Right. And, uh, you know, I mean, even my head football coach, John Ralston coming out of San Jose state, that's a legend right there was, uh, interviewed by the media and his words about me were, uh, he's not the biggest guy. He's not the strongest guy. But he'll compete his ass off, basically, you know? And for me, I'm like, gosh, that's my head coach, you right. know? And I'm not saying he's saying anything <laughs> bad no, or it's, wrong. But it's pat on the back. You got a hey, good job, kid. But, you know? yeah, how about a little bit <laughs> yeah. more, like, yeah. uh, excitement yeah. toward what I bring to the table. Right, exactly. You know? yep. and, uh, and you're supposed to be on my side. You're yeah. supposed to help sell me, not that like would piss me off. <laughs> right, exactly. And don't so, tell me the things I can't do. Tell right. tell everybody the things that I do do. Exactly. Right? Focus and on so, the positive. And, and and that was the thing. I didn't really feel like there was anything that I never could do. You know, there was not what's going to differentiate differentiate me from someone else. I can make every throw. I can. Uh, I can see the field. I can, you know, height has never been an issue. And I used to make the argument like, well, where are my eyes at? If you're six foot four, are your eyes at the top of your head? No, they're about four inches lower, right? You're at six foot. You're still trying to see through passing lanes. You're not seeing over six foot five offensive linemen. You got to understand the game, man. And that's what hey, was so great about Doug Flutie and watching him play the game. You're yeah. talking about a guy who's 5'9", but hey, excelled. But this is a mindset, right? This might, this idea of, hey, I'm six foot one, but my feet creates more throwing lanes than the guy who's 6'4", yeah. who can't move, yeah. right? But it's always this idea of you're going to take whatever is reality and you're going to spin it back on, no, hey, listen, you don't understand. I have more throwing lanes because I can move. I'm smarter, so I understand defense is better. This whole idea of flipping what would what normal people consider a, a negative or an obstacle and say, no, you got it wrong. The defense has to stop me. Like, 
I, do you wake up still to this day and you're like, hey, <laughs> like, like in everything is you have to stop me, not the other way around. Like my height isn't going to restrict me from uh, the, the high jump or, my, you know, my my yep. my age isn't going to restrict me from being a billionaire. What What is it? Absolutely. Like? It becomes a way of life. Yeah, it Absolutely. does. Right. It becomes just the mentality of of how you're wired, you know, and I think it's a great way to be in so many ways. But I think you also have to learn to balance it and you have to learn to, to find contentment and satisfaction in life as well. Because I think part of the problem when you do succeed or you do excel or you do challenge yourself in so many ways is, is to be able to uh, find ways to enjoy mm. the fruits of your labor, so to speak, right? So for me, like a lot of the challenge in my life is was because I was always driven to prove myself to others or prove people wrong or prove that I belong or prove that I'm this and I'm that and climbing that mountain, right? Being the mountain climber in life and, and finding that next highest mountain to climb. Well, where do you find your contentment and your happiness and your satisfaction? Yeah. I think yeah. being able to now take a step back and, and realize that, hey, all of the things that I've gone through and the experiences that I've been able to have, the journey that I've been a part of in my life, uh, I can actually sit back now and share so much yeah. of that with my children, and, and that's my important. family. That's important. And, and you know, the, uh, hindsight's twenty twenty, so to speak, and it's important that you reflect. But you know what I want to hit just real quickly is, dude, I mean, I grew up, we all grew up watching Joe Montana. We all grew up watching Steve Young. You're stepping in uh, arguably, arguably an impossible scenario where you're uh, there are two hall of fame quarterbacks who have who've excelled right like take me back to when you were that age not now and reflective obviously you have wisdom now right but in that moment was that was that on your mind at all saying fuck i have to go after steve young how's this gonna how am i gonna do this well in no way was i saying fuck how right. am i gonna <laughs> do this but I, you know but i realized the big shoes that i was stepping into and yeah. i think what i tried to do for myself was to realize that I'm not those guys, that I'm Jeff Garcia. I need to find a way to do it the way that I know how to do it. Yes, learn from them. Uh, try to pick their brain. Try to grow as much as possible when they're around. Steve wasn't around very long. Right. Once his injury happened, he kind of separated himself. Sure. So then it got left yeah. or put on me to, hey, okay, battle through some of these struggles, these growing pains. That I started to go Who'd through you in that on? first season. Who'd you lean really, on? Greg Knapp, probably my quarterback coach, and uh, he did a great job of reinstilling confidence in me because after my first start, which was a positive one against the Tennessee Titans, who that year go on to the Super Bowl, lose to the yeah, Rams. That's right, by one yard. <laughs> by one yard, we beat them at home in my first start. Man, I'm talking like driving up to Candlestick that day, and. The goosebumps, I miss right? Candlestick, by the way. Just the <laughs> chill going through my spine, knowing that I was a kid growing up watching yeah. this team, idolizing Joe Montana. Now I'm going to be that yeah. that guy that they're calling out on game day, running through the Niner helmet onto that yeah. field and leading the Nothing Niners, like right? I mean, the emotions that were going through me as I drove up to that stadium right. were unbelievable. And we imagine. go out... And I throw for two touchdowns. I run for one. We beat the Titans. Hey, I'm like, this is easy. Man, no problem. Well, yeah. the, the wheels, is bipolar. <laughs> the wheels started to fall off slowly after sure. that. The next four games were a struggle. I got benched. And during that benching, you know, part of 
my dealings during that five-game stretch were that I was trying to be Steve Young. I was trying to uh, not be the reason that this team was going to struggle or fall apart. And uh, in hindsight, looking back, the team was going through a lot of changes. The team was older. They weren't the same team that they had been through the 80s and mid-90s. And yes, there was a major difference that the quarterback had changed, but I can't put all that pressure on me. It's a team game. And when the other quarterback stepped in, who was Steve Stenstrom out of Stanford, stepped in, he had similar struggles, if not worse. And I think as much as it was hard to watch that because you don't want to see your team struggle, it also proved or showed me that, hey, it goes beyond just me. Like they're... A lot lot of working parts here. We all have to be on the same page. When I got reinstated as a starter for the last five games, we didn't win any more games, but production, my productivity was so much different than the first five games because I found a way to alleviate that pressure. So when when we've we've seen this come up before, this is one of the themes in our podcast that we've been able to identify, and it's interesting – there's an identity crisis. You actually say, I went through my struggle because I was trying to be someone I wasn't or the pressure or something like that. Now, it sounds like taking a step back actually was the right move where you were able to, you know, look at it from not from the field perspective where you can get caught up in the, the game, but you, you're now looking at the game from a different perspective. How do you recapture that? Was it taking a step back or was it a coach? Or was it, how do you regain the confidence and how do you get back to your identity to where you can be yourself? A couple of things, being able to watch from the sideline, I think alleviated some of that pressure that I was putting on myself to play the game perfectly, right? You can't play the game perfectly. You're striving for perfection, especially in practice. Hey, I don't want the ball to hit the ground. I want to make perfect reads, all these things. But in the game, it's just got to flow. It's just got to react. The second thing, and probably the most important thing was Greg Knack, took me aside. He put together a collection of plays through those first five games that I had started in plays that were positive plays where I had rhythm, good decision-making accurate throwing. And it was basically to show me you can do it, that I can do it, that I'm capable of doing it, that, Hey, don't think about all the negative shit that happened, learn from it, grow from it. But here's what you are capable of doing. Get out of your head and watch right. you do it. Now string together consistency, right? And, and that's the most vital, most important thing about a quarterback is consistency. Week in and week out, consistency. But as you're coaching, you're parenting, you're coaching, whether it's business, whether it's personal, like you see the positive impact of talking to someone about what's right. Right. Instead of browbeating or going in and saying, you, you know, you had three interceptions. No, even in a game, you had three interceptions. But look, here are the plays. Here are the things that you did do. We need to correct this, but you can do it. Right. Yes. So when you talk about confidence, there's this idea of how do you get back? Once you lose, it's hard. When you're winning, confidence is super easy. It's easy right. to front run. Momentum. Right. What we talk about in this podcast that's really powerful or interesting is what the fuck do you do when you're down and you're beat and you're you're insecure, you're unsure, you don't know your identity. That's the time where the difference between great and like not great is how you respond and how you rebound from that. So you just kind of touched on that. What absolutely. And, and and when you watch sport, it's so evident in sports. Yeah. And especially at that position in football, because when you look at draft picks uh, and you look at where difficult. the highest rated quarterbacks coming out of college end up going 
they're going to the worst teams in NFL football, more than likely, right? You look at the Clemson quarterback, he goes to the worst team in football, Jacksonville. They yeah. got more problems than the quarterback position. Perennially. <laughs> but, but they're expecting him to be the, the knight in shining armor, right? And what does that do for their confidence? And that's where you see so many failures take place because these are young men, 22, 23 years old that are all of a sudden thrown to the wolves and have an expectation thrust upon them, but they don't have the help around them. Right. And they're expected to do it themselves in a grown man's game where everybody else is structured and prepared to tear your head off and to make you look bad. And how do they get over that beating, Mental, especially mentally? Right. So I'm, I'm curious because we talk, we've talked about the individual. I want to talk about organization and team because you played for several, right? The 49ers, the Detroit, the Browns in Philadelphia, Tampa Bay. Bay. You want to forget about some you want to forget. Okay. So, so without, with, with giving us specific names of organizations, I want to, I want to know the differences between great chemistry, culture and organization. Yeah. Like tell it, walk us through what, what was right and what was wrong be as specific as you want, but it, but it, that doesn't matter. We're not for a hot. We're not here for a hot take, but we're curious as far right. as you're the leader at some level, like a like a their CEO, president, GM, and owner, yeah. and then pretty much quarterback, right? Like so, you're yeah. at the top. You're at the C exec level of an organization. Walk us through good orgs, bad orgs, good culture, bad culture, and what you saw. Kind of what your takeaways were. Well, you know, going to the 49ers, you had a culture that was started by Eddie DeBartolo that just uh, was unmatched around the National Football League. How he treated DeBartolo. Yeah, all those guys, guys, Carmen Policy, how they treated their players and coaches first and foremost was how you'd like to see every organization treat their people. And it was all about consistency. Now, I came in through the transition. The York family had taken over. And there were some differences. There were some changes. And we started to see that effect when they fired Steve Mariucci. After the 2002 season, here we go to the second round of the playoffs. We had been a, an old team that got young, went from some struggles to all of a sudden turned it around, won the NFC West division, which was a tough division with the Rams, go to the second round of the playoffs, and then they fire Mooch. And it was a battle of egos. You had Terry Donahue, who was the GM, who was a former college football coach, not a GM. Not to say he can't run a team, but when you talk about no, he can't. egos. No, he can't. I'll say Egos it. getting. Yeah, what, do they pick up Erickson after that? Yeah. They pick and up then, a college so they, coach? Well, yeah. and they bought, brought in Erickson, but they handcuffed Erickson yeah. because they made him take on half a staff that wasn't his, run an offense that can't wasn't his. So, you know, that led to about 10 years Strife. of struggles <laughs> yeah. until Harbaugh came, yeah. came into the yeah. picture. Um, you know, going to Cleveland and Detroit. The lack of consistency starting at the top affects everything else. Mm. And you see why those teams on a yearly basis. Consistently are inconsistent. Consistently are inconsistent because it starts from the top and trickles on down to the bottom. And just like in Cleveland, you have a young quarterback, Baker Mayfield, who's a good quarterback. He's gritty, reminds me a lot of myself in a a lot of ways. Two seasons ago, they were a fourth and one away from going on in the playoffs, a litany, from beating a, a Kansas litany City. Of, a litany of star receivers, a, a hell of a running back core. Everything. Right, and then injuries yeah. affect. and The best ability had, is availability, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean there's a real – got to you got to play. Sure, it, absolutely. But, but yeah. that being said, they're so quick to turn the page, yeah. right? 
It's a business, right? I mean, NFL stands for not for long. It is. We know that. It is. It is. But so that's. But there's and, some and politics, we right? Know. There's some politics. Oh, absolutely. In that, right? like oh. The higher level that you go to, the more changes. politics and business yeah. play a role versus just the core principles of what the sport is all about. It's funny because I look at even coaching staffs around the National Football League, guys that are coaching positions that don't know a damn thing about the position. Oh. Yeah. They're part of the buddy system. Good old boys network. It's par- exactly. It's the good old boys network. Guys have, you know, worked their way up the ladder, coming from backgrounds where they've never even put on a jock strap. It's right? fascinating. And, and that's what frustrates me more than anything. It's not know? just coaching, by the way. It's in every facet of a team's organization. The physician. You, you implicitly believe that the team physician is going to be the very best because you're dealing with the lead athletes. It ain't the case that traditionally the, that physician group has paid a sponsorship to be that fucking physician, right? Right, exactly. and it's every facet of it. It's fascinating. Yes, it's fascinating. Big, big business. Yes, That's but you know so, what? When I went to Philadelphia, you had some continuity. You had consistency with Andy Reid. You know, you had a yeah. program, an organization, and part of my yeah. going to Philadelphia was was basically looking at my situation. I had just spent a year in Cleveland and then a year in Detroit two organizations that have consistently struggled. I didn't want to, whether I was the starter or not, and and, and and it's hard to look at it from the standpoint of I'm not going to be the starter because I'm competitive in that way, but I didn't want to be with a bad organization. And what were my options? Well, my options, I had really only a couple options. options. One of them was to go to Philly and be the backup to Donovan McNabb. And so I was like, you know what? They're a winning organization. They're consist- consistently there. They were just in the Super Bowl a couple years prior. I'm going to go there. I'm going to bite the bullet on being the starter on the field to be around because a better you're, you're atmosphere looking at the organization. You've, Absolutely. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah. Is, there, is there a play or, as you look back and you have this perspective now, is there a, a favorite play that you have in the NFL, one that, you, that sticks out more than most? Is there a favorite team that you had that stick out the most? Like, like, let's talk a little bit about the favorite. Smile. What makes no, but, you smile? No, well, I like. mean, you know, I think just playing for the 49ers was a childhood dream come yeah. true. And then when you look at my experiences there, uh, the wild card comeback yeah. win versus the New York the Giants. Giants. Yeah. Yeah, so that, the that Giant field comeback. Goal. How they missed that thing. <laughs> well, we won't talk about that. But, uh, you know, there were some plays. I had a a little bootleg run for like a 20, 25 yard yeah. touchdown in that game or 15 yards, whatever. Hey, 89 yard touchdown run. <laughs> no, whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, just that like shining moment of like, just that comeback and how it was coming together Being at and home. plays that, that took place that. during that time and just the combination. And I, I'm actually going to be doing something for the Niner network here in the next couple weeks reminiscing about that game and talking yeah. about that game. But that's a game that not just sits well with me, but sits well with 49er fans. Yeah, People remember that game. And absolutely. so, you know, that's, that was a big time highlight, uh, bringing the Eagles from a five and five record to yeah. NFC East yeah. champions, yeah. that run where we went three consecutive road games, which is unheard of in the NFL. It's rare that you'll play three NFC games <laughs> all against the NFC East, yeah. all against your rivals. And, yeah. and when you think about the NFC East, 
every team hates each other. Right. Well, it's I mean, bad. It's, it's bad, bad out there. It's real. <laughs> Which yeah. was awesome, you know, yeah. to be a part of. But yeah. going out to Dallas, going out yeah. to Washington, yeah. going out to New York and, yeah. and beating like that it. ass, it was yeah. it was awesome <laughs> to bring that home. I can tell you're fired Philly. up right now. Well, <laughs> yeah. Let's you go, know baby. what? Because Philly, it's like, it's love-hate. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And there's a lot of people that have left Philly that, aren't welcome back and yeah. i fortunately am one guy that's yeah. welcome back yeah. yeah and uh you know that that's was special. just a great experience it was is absolutely. there is there a defender that you remember the most either you're someone hit you the hardest someone that was the maybe the most talented or someone that was on the other side of the football where you're like man that fucking guy i didn't like playing <laughs> against him well you know we brought up his name earlier but just a hell of a player was aeneas williams yeah. and he just is so smart everything just so smart man just like new where to be and and how to anticipate and and make life miserable for a quarterback um brian urlacher was a stud for many years playing that middle linebacker position for the chicago bears and just you know i mean hey i'm sure i got well acquainted michael (laughs) strahan a lot a lot of great players i mean when you look at uh the great uh defenses of the buccaneers in the early 2000s with Derek Brooks and Warren Sapp and Lynch. and Lynch. Yeah. Hey Tony, we're gonna make all... a cut and, and have Warren this Warren Sapp video, guys. Audience, you're gonna have you really enjoy <laughs> this. But go ahead, sorry. All it, those guys, amazing. you know, just playing against that combination of team and how Monty Kiffin ran that defense. A a how, they, how they ran that defense, it just they were tough. Man. Is there is there anything in the NFL that the common fan doesn't know about or is not talked about? There's so many. There's so much publicity with the NFL and everything that goes on. Is there anything behind the scenes that is interesting that nobody really pays any attention to or nobody knows about the, maybe the business aspect or the media aspect or just the normalcy of it that maybe is, is not known or understood. Is there anything that you can give us some insight on of what the NFL is like behind the curtain? Yeah. I don't think people realize the time that is put in to preparation for the game, the hours that are spent, from coaches, because I've been on the coaching side as well, and it's a, it's a 24-7 job pretty yeah. much. I mean, these yeah. coaches put in a lot of time, a lot of effort. But from a player standpoint, you just don't show up in practice and go through the physical reps. You just don't show up on game day and it all falls into place. There are hours upon hours upon hours of film study, of playbook study, of mental preparation so that you're all on the same page. I mean, when you talk about getting a playbook and you've experienced this on a weekly basis, I mean, you're talking about hundreds of pages thick. And it's not to say that things are totally changing, but you're adapting and restructuring certain things to face the next opponent. And so there's a learning curve every Monday, Tuesday, even though they're basically signaled as days off, you're not taking days off. So you're seven days a week throughout those six months and it's a mental grind well so this is this question is appropriate for this week so the quarterback for the cardinals just signed a massive deal and in the deal it it leaked that he has four hours of study or he could lose a hundred million dollars guaranteed any thoughts on uh, if someone has to put that in a contract are we uh who do you think did that (laughs) (laughs) right i mean that just to me just you know this is your livelihood this is your job this is Hey, your work, um, you're fortunate to be blessed to be able to play such a great game, 
make great money, why wouldn't you want to put the time into it? Why wouldn't you want to live at the facility? Be the first one there, the last one to leave. It's six months out of the year. You get another six months of pretty much doing whatever you want to do during that time. So for half the year, you dedicate yourself and you make the money that you make. You're very fortunate. That tells me that that he relies a lot on his physical tools because he is such an exceptional athlete that he's been able to get away with it but that people are going to take that away from him. Defenses and defensive coordinators are too good, and the athletes are too good that they'll find a way to take it away from you if you aren't mentally preparing yourself on a weekly basis because that's really what separates the greats from the okays or the goods is the mental preparation, the ability to take the mental game and translate it in a second onto the field. That's awesome. That, that is awesome. Well, Jeff, hey, listen, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this opportunity to visit with you and, and deeply appreciate everything that you've shared today. Um, I just want to take a moment to our audience. Audience, listen, it, it's been awesome. You guys have DM'd us. Keep doing that stuff. I'll bring up questions. We'll we'll try to kind of advertise who we're going to uh, have up next to, so they can actually ask more questions. But listen, like us, download whatever. we. Uh, Jeff, you're not going to believe this. We're on every platform. We're on YouTube. We're on Spotify. Awesome. It's everything out there. So guys, enjoy it. Uh, thank you very much. And, and this kind of wraps up another episode of, of Flip Your Friday. Thanks, Jeff. Hey, you got it. Hey, awesome. next time at Barbusa. Yeah. <laughs> Big shout out. And that's a wrap. <laughs> that's a great place to end yeah, it. it awesome.